Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with my co-host, Pat Gallagher. And we're really excited for today's guest and Ann Osi, uh, Vice President of Design at Major League Baseball. And Ann brings a wealth of knowledge in uh, a an area of the business called creativity in which I'd like to think Pat and I have a little bit, but nowhere close to uh, what <laughs> Ann's got. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to, to talking with Ann about you know, her career path, but then also what does she do on a day-to-day basis? So with, uh, without further ado, Anne, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. Love being here. So Anne, uh, Anne is the, you know, not only is she, you know, she's in charge of, you know, all the different team marks, the things that you see, you know, the World Series uh, brands, the all-star game. But she's also been doing this for a long time. I mean, <laughs> and you, you've been doing this for baseball for just about 30 years. And uh, let's, let's, let's say, well, how did, I mean, you didn't, you know, didn't all of a sudden as a kid say, you know, I want to, I want to <laughs> design all the marks and stuff for Major League Baseball. How did it happen? How did you get into it? Well, actually, it's kind of an interesting um, trek here. Uh, being a being someone who's not extremely athletic and five feet tall, if you would have ever told me, I would have ended up spending my entire year and, you know, life, lifelong dream of adding uh, sports to a design career, I would have told you were crazy. Um, but uh, I started out uh, going into advertising and from advertising, I ended up working uh, on the Adidas or Adidas account and uh, nobody wanted to work on it. Uh, mainly because it was not packaged goods. It wasn't something that was simple or cookie cutter back in the Mad Men days. Uh, So I had the privilege of working on projects such as the Olympics uh, from the advertising side. Um, And that drove me into going client side uh, and seven years in charge of marketing communications over at Adidas. Loved it, absolutely loved the idea of being in sports, very kinetic, always energized and you can never predict what will take place right because it's a human condition it's not it's not something that can be uh, analyzed uh, in a way like that so uh, one day um, an old boss of mine uh, in advertising uh, came to me and told me that uh, baseball in fact was looking for a creative director um, and it was a, a first um, of its kind so I had the privilege of coming on very close to 30 years ago uh, and starting a department, which again, in just in and of itself, is just a wonderful opportunity. But it, it's so emotional. The what I mean is that that you know your favorite your favorite team's uniform. You know, the, it, it's not only a visual connection, but it's an emotional connection. And you know, you're really dealing with something that a lot of people consider to be sacred. And uh, what was the first uh, what was the first sort of logo redesign or or uniform redesign? that you did uh, coming into the business? Uh, coming right away, I had the privilege of working um, with the Phillies. And the Phillies at that time were uh, some maroon outfits uh, right out of Madison Avenue. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I had the opportunity to work with Dave Montgomery. And uh, we actually put them back in the Whiz Kids. But at this time, what we had is the dimension of color. Um, we had now had color TV, right? So we got to take the Whiz Kids uh, kind of imprimatur, and we got to, you know, 
little uh, do some sharpening up of that but we got to add blue stars which i think you know made all the difference in the world and as you had mentioned it is a very emotional attachment people are emotionally tied to those uniforms um and so that was my very first entree into uh the world of the the world of redesigns you know since then i mean i've gone through a couple of them <laughs> and we've had the opportunity to work together and uh you know, the Giants being one of the, you know, one of the old franchises gone through a variety of different looks, you know, sort of survived the look of the 70s, which was the softball look um, in the in the 1970s. But but th tell me, and as far as the input that comes in for a particular design, I, you know, I remember I know just from just from experience. You know, you've got a lot of opinions out there. You know, you, you might have an owner's owner's uh, and, and, and even sometimes worse, an owner's wife who says, you know, here's what you ought to do for the uniform. I want I want I want you to have this color. But t tell me about some of the considerations for what you have when you go into this. You know, w when you when when somebody wants to make a change, you, know, you probably have to help them decide why are you making the change and are you doing it for the right reason? You know, I think that that's really the crux of it all is is why is a change being requested? Um, as you probably know, or maybe others out there do not know, is we do not approach a club to suggest a change. We do have guidelines on, on timelines when we can be approached, et cetera. But, but in, the, in the end, um, I have not worked with a club that rang, tried to ring a cash register. That would be the last thing in the world. Either that even, or to follow a trend of a color and or a typeface, et cetera. These brands uh, in baseball go very deep. Um, and they have the opportunity to, for those who come through our expansion uh, ranks, correct? Um, so what we really need to do is to listen to the people who make the decisions. Uh, you can have somebody who's in merchandising who may have their own reason for wanting to change, but it's the owner uh, that really is going to drive the sense of their brand. So I listen very closely to the decision makers and why they are considering an alteration. Uh, more than uh, lately, it's been an evolution of a passion of a period of time where their, their ball club played. Hey, Pat, I, I have an example, and, and I know uh, this is more, a little bit more recent, but you know the Diamondbacks had gone through the, the change from purple to uh, we'll, eh, we'll call it the, the desert sand red <laughs> color, right? Um, for, for lack of better terms, uh, it's not that it's not the Philly maroon, right? It's different. So, um, you know, in, in that design, they then use and uh, the purple jerseys as a throwback cool. uniform. Mm -hmm. So what, what goes into that decision making of being able to still use the old uniforms versus the new ones they create and, and alternates and all the different, you know, colors that you might see uh, on, a, on a random, you know, Father's Day or Mother's Day or, you know, Fourth of July, all that sort of stuff. Well, it's really nice to have the opportunity to keep a cohesive brand with brand colors that are solid. And then you have the opportunity to every once in a while, there are several, you know, games during the season where you get to throw out something that probably was near and dear to somebody's heart along the way. And it, it just spices things up a little without getting serious. We're not talking about a, a change back. Uh, even when the Phillies, let's say, go back to that maroon 
uh, uniform every once in a while. Um, it doesn't it doesn't really harm anything. It just goes out as a special attention, and uh, people can rally for that one day. They rally around a memory that's you know no longer there <laughs> on an everyday basis. Well, but but the. But the, the different considerations, I mean, aside from just the uniform that's on the players, you know, take us through all the other considerations. I mean, the, the licensees who, who do replica, um, the way that, the, way that the, the, the mark, whatever the mark is in the logo, the way it looks on television, the way it looks in print, what, what are all the, the things that you would think about? that maybe somebody else. Um, I think that the consideration of how you manufacture a uniform, everything comes down to the details that you may or may not be able to see. Um, when we come up with a brand, it has to be an extension of that brand to go across everything, right? So now we have hex colors when we come up with the color behind uh, a certain aspect of the uniform, all the way through to uh, the way it fits into Fufu threads. So Fufu happens to be a manufacturer of embroidery threads. So things still have to have the same coloration, be it no matter what platform, as you say, whether it's online, um, whether it's being seen uh, in a newspaper, uh, whether it's being embroidered on something, uh, they all have to have a lot of continuity. So every time that we work with a a color change with a club or a shade change, we have to take into consideration whether or not it does translate to some of these. There are some colors that literally do not translate to other mediums. So we're always very careful about that. Can't take that for granted. I remember one of the considerations we had um, with the with the with one of the Giants redesigns is, is the name San Francisco, which is kind of a long word. And it, if, if you had a, a, a player like Willie McCovey or somebody big, uh, you could put it on his chest and it would look great. But if you had a 150-pound shortstop, you know, the, 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 the S would start on his back and the O would start on his back. So it was the things that you might think about uh, in the practical terms would be some, with some sort of a challenge that you'd have to, you'd have to factor for. And, you know, you've, you've done some – You've done some uniforms that for for teams that haven't existed, expansion teams. <laughs> Tell me how you start with that. There's no tradition. How do you start with well, that? Well, actually, you come down to the essence of the of the area or the creature that that the club really might stand for, and you don't deviate from that. So again. Um, I think that we can pride ourselves at baseball for not going after all of those trend colors. We would actually look into, uh, I'll take the Florida Marlins as the beginning one. Uh, so the Florida Marlins uh, actually ended up in a shade of a turquoise. Um, and there were some that believed that back then, if you remember the San Jose Sharks were in this turquoise as well. But that really wasn't where the essence of that color. If you look in Miami to this day, you will see that in every backyard there's a pool, in every community that there is a fountain. The color is just very prevalent. So no matter what happened, that color wouldn't have necessarily left that brand at any one time. Wow. So let's talk about one of our favorite teams, the Houston Astros. Over the years, the different looks that they've had, and uh, you've been involved now over 30 years, you've been involved in several of these transitions, but if you did a retrospective of, of the Houston uniforms for the last 35 years, I mean, you've got a ton of different looks. 
Tell me about some of that. <laughs> um, well, again, um, following ownership and where ownership likes to be. Uh, when they came into this new ballpark, it is uh, basic. It's based on trains, correct? We have a train that runs uh, runs with the oranges, as it were, <laughs> on the top. Um, but it was all based on that, and therefore they chose at that time to use a train-driven logo. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a black Victorian scroll. Uh, all along, I think the essence of who they were was always where they started out. Uh, they started out with a very unique personality. I am thrilled to death that they went back to that personality uh, because I think it's the essence of, of who, they, who they are. Um, the others might have been a little bit more manufactured um, and so I'm really thrilled that they went back to their origin and uh, picked up the rainbow stripes. I bet it'd be on only a few uniforms, only on a stripe that goes down the sides of their uniform. Um, but I think that that held uh, a bit of entertainment factor. Uh, and it was the warmth of the club that, that has now re-ensued. And so as you, you know, you talked about the location and kind of the origin being a really big part of it. As you look at some of the uh, moves, like the Expos to Washington, right, or, or some of the different um, transitions that we don't know that they're going to take place in the future. We, we don't know where some teams may end up moving. Um, you know, what, what are some of those things that you have to kind of consider as you're looking at the other teams in those markets, right? If it's the NBA team or the NFL team and not, you know, either – looking the same or different, you know, do the other teams affect what you, what you think Almost about? Almost certainly. Uh, they're going to be seen um, juxtaposed to one another. However, there is the power of some color. So let's just talk about the, the colors that could be beneficial, you know, in being uh, a city color. So let's take Pittsburgh, for example. Here's a perfect one. You've got the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, they've been in the same locale uh, and they share city colors with the other uh sport brands in the area. And there's a strength in that. There's a strength that everyone identifies immediately those colors um, with the area. Um, and I think that's very, very powerful. Uh, there aren't as many or, you know, as, as there could be uh, that follow that genre. But I, I think that's a very powerful statement. Color period end is a very powerful statement, right? That's, that's how you endear yourself to your club. You wear those colors. Um, and I, I think that that's, that means a lot. You might not even need to wear a moniker of the club on your person. But if you're seen uh, at a game uh, or walking down the street and you're wearing the colors of the club, people will warm to you with the same like interests. So every year you've, at least in baseball, you have to, you have to design for an all-star game, which moves to a different city. Talk about some of the considerations for that and, and and also you know when do you have to start this how do you you know one of the things you've always been good at is providing constructive criticism which is not easy to do with things like design and you do it with you know without <laughs> without getting into a fight <laughs> but you can provide you can provide constructive suggestions tell me how you do that what do you think about um i i think uh well, there's there's two things here. First is the unbelievable opportunity, right, to to put together an all-star game. An all-star game means to me um, that while the game itself might be in rote, right, 
it doesn't change its format. Um, it's the opportunity to work with different cities. Every single one of these clubs is situated in a very different political arena. Uh, they could be a small town and it could be a large city. Uh, it could be a club with uh, some longevity to it, or it could be somebody that's fairly uh, new. Um, so each time it gives us the opportunity to work with what is best with that area. What, what's the best thing about the club? What's the, the best thing about the city itself? Um, and foremost, every single club is given the opportunity, uh, even though it's a Major League Baseball event, um, to say why do they want to have this club, you know, this, this game. In the end, when all the dust settles and the game is history. Uh, what did they want people to know about themselves or about the community that they may not have had the opportunity to know about? And that's a beautiful, great, uh, creative, uh, you know, uh, question there. Like, how, how do we solve that? How do we make sure that whatever we design brings across uh, that, that particular thought? Um, the, uh, Cleveland Indians recently had an all-star game and they wanted to be known as the birthplace of rock and roll. So we've stepped away, right? It was it, the whole logo consisted really of a guitar and that guitar was made up of baseball stitching on the side. Um, but again, it gave them the opportunity to use that as a platform to show everyone this wealth of culture within Cleveland. And and from a from a logo perspective, I mean, you talk about the guitar and the and the stitching on the side. I have to imagine that went through a hundred different <laughs> versions at least, and some different renditions. And and you got black and white versions and this color and that color. I mean, wh overall, how many how many different ones are you looking at? And do you ever have to just step away from the computer to almost? like resharpen your eyes to go, okay, what am I looking at I here? I think, again, you set up this criteria so that you go through, I, I like to think that we go through more mood boards of, of landing on the right platform long before the graphics come out. So long before we try to apply uh, what might end up being the technical solution, we have like, what is the emotional connection? And once you establish what the emotional connection is, what type of type style stands for that genre? We, we, that was the fun one with that. We got to look in all, kind, all the kinds of big bands. Um, and, you know, we got to go back and rock and roll and pull up every album cover I can think of um, just to try to get to, okay, then where are we going to be when it comes to type? Um, how are we going to look at this? Um, and, and then from there, you start to build out what actually ends up being a very short set of solutions, not a long set. Wow. And what's that process take? I think, I think Pat mentioned that earlier. It's like, well, I mean, is that a six month process? Is that, a, is that once you have uh, what you were calling the foundations and the ideas to then go to the technology, I mean, is the technology a, a two-week process? Well, uh, I think that I would say from the time that we sit down and speak to the club about why they would like to have this game or what is their objective behind it, it takes us roughly four months to formulate what we think uh, a, a good solution is from there. And then, of course, once 
once we all agree on that, you know, then it takes quite a while to start to build this out. Not the least of which it's deliverable of all the great players, right? So once once you decide where the where the logo lands, that's almost the simple part. Now we have to showcase all the stars of the game. And how will that apply to whatever the theme art is, whatever the look is? Uh, how will the banners be seen in the city? What's the huge drop on that large building over there? You know, how did we uh, come across with pedestrian bridges in some of the cities where those belong? Um, how can we showcase all of the, you know, the youth of the game? If you're a if you're a marketing person for a team, one of the great things, actually one of the best things about having an all star game is it's something you you know is going to happen, um, you know, a year or so before or during the off season, when you start thinking about how are you going to market um, your team going forward and everything going forward, having the 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 ability to present an all star game. It puts a national focus on you, and it's also something that you can, you know, you can determine uh, how you, uh, you're right, how you want your city to be represented. But it's, but it's a great thing because you know it's going to happen. Uh, you, you know it's going to happen in the middle of the season. So it's a, uh, so right now, and you're, you know, you're working on, on designs for uh, all-star <laughs> games coming up yeah. in the future. Um, you know what I mean. You know, I think though some of the locations have been decided. So where it's going to be? Where is well, it going to be in, in twenty twenty? Where's right the All Star now, game? Which is really exciting is Atlanta. Um, Atlanta and Atlanta has a oh, brand Atlanta, new ballpark. Yeah. Uh, if if you haven't been out there to see it, oh, if you've got to, it's uh, it's it's just the best in southern hospitality. And uh, you, you walk up and there are so many great spaces to be at before you even walk through the door. Um, I will tell you, it'd be, I'd be really hard pressed to select one and just stick with one. I, I think that I would be one that every time I went out to the ballpark, I'd have to stop someplace new. Um, it's literally that exciting. And there's something for everyone uh, that, you know, whether it's you walk up and there's, there's kids running around on a, on a little diamond and then there's a large screen there. So you don't miss any of the action on the field. Uh, and then you walk in and of course it's a gorgeous brand new ballpark, every seat, not a bad seat in the house. So you, you run into a, a a brand new situation like that, which really is juxtaposed to any of the cities that we work in, where there's this longevity, you know, of, of the event. Um, maybe they've had many of the events in the past, uh, and you get to pick out and shine at just a different aspect of uh, where they are today as a city. As you as you focus on the World Series logos, uh, and you think about, you know like Pat said, it's going to happen every year. And you, and you look at, um, you know, one to the next, to the next, Pat, you were, you were fortunate enough to work on the Super Bowl, you know, host committee in which there's a, there's a new logo for that every year as well. And what goes into the, the thought process behind you? Have, you don't know what team's going to play you, and you don't know where it's going to be, but you've got this tradition, right. Of every year and, and the trophy looks. Same yeah. I, I and, think and so this on. is, this is one where I will say that you need to be very close with the trends of the time because um, this is going to mark in time, somebody's favorite clubs. Uh, so uh, I, I think we try to keep up on exactly what's going on out there. Uh, what's, what's happening online. What's, what's happening uh 
it's mainly going to be seen, right? It'll be seen uh, on the TV, online. It's a very visual, um, that, that kind of medium is now going to drive this, much more so than in years past. This is really something that is, is mainly for the consumption of the consumer that's watching it. So we take that, you know, and we take the trends of what's going on, what are the typefaces that are popular? Because again, when they walk away with, when your team wins and you see that logo, you want that to be representative of the times, not something from a long time ago and not something from necessarily a future time. It should be representative this time. So l let me get back to this, this idea of providing constructive criticism because you know, you have a staff of your own at Major League Baseball, but I know that you also utilize different artists depending on the situation. Um, how do you coax? How do you coax an artist to to <laughs> I say change, but but to do, but to do the right thing? Meaning, if if all of a sudden you see a design, you kind of go, "Oh my God, that's that that's it's terrible." <laughs> you can't say that. How do you, how do you coax somebody into uh, um, making I, I them think, do what you want? I think it's it, you know it's it's a matter of putting people's focus back on where you want them to be directed to. So it can be something as simple as pointing out: uh, Were you aware that the the constituents here, um, <laughs> you know, it, it just might be uh, taking what I'm looking at. And, and trying to tell them the errors of their ways, so to speak, a little bit more diplomatically uh, than, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I, I... <laughs> constructive, constructive criticism clearly <laughs> is a skill. Um, and what, well, I mean, from, yeah. the, from the perspective of the skills that you use on a daily basis, I mean, what do you, what do you work on you know, obviously experience certainly helps from, from one year to the next, but what's, what are you sharpening? You know, what, what I actually think the one thing that you really have to keep up on is, is the, what's the next thing? What, where do you need to go with this? Um, I think we have to always evolve. You know, it's one thing if you caught on to how you create a nice embroidered uniform, but that doesn't matter when the, when the patches are made out of plastic. Um, you know, when they're when they are made out of a rubber, when they're really cool and they've got different design patterns in the background, you've got to just keep moving forward. You can never sit back and say, boy, that experience is well worth, you know, <laughs> well worth that. Let's just put that back in that, you know, cubby hole. I think you've got to always be looking forward um, now more than ever. Um, I I look at the I look at any logo. I look at it on a dark background, not a light background. I look at what it's going to be when it's going to be animated. I think it's really critical. If that doesn't animate, uh, I I think the logo's dead in the water. Just because it would fit on a T-shirt doesn't mean anything anymore. Well, well also without also a doubt. online online too. I mean, you've got you've got you know it's a different consideration than it used to be. Is that you've got a put something in, in some cases, mm -hmm. it's going to be like a button almost that, that, um, that ha it has to read also, because, you know, you, you may see it in a, in a, in a uniform or a big sign, but in a lot of cases, you have to have a mark that also will, will duplicate properly um, in a small, in a small format. 
and you got to make special uh, certainly i mean it's all got to come down to an icon now um and on that icon uh, I'm very certain that there has to be a family of those icons that would stand for all the deliverables that need to happen uh, to engage a consumer now, because they're going to be on, skip me on the computer, they're, they're going to be on their, their phone. It has to come down to that small. The color has to be able to translate. And that, that has been probably the biggest learning curve of the, I'd say, the last two years is what colors are you selecting and how are they going to be seen on, in dark mode now um, when, uh, when items are moving? Like, how, how are you going to read that? Uh, so a lot of the tricks that we put in uh, that do cause an animation to be really lovely still have to be distilled down to one color, you know, possibly without a highlight. Well, and and at the same time, Pat, your 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 uh, ballpark in San Francisco is one of the largest scoreboards now, right? So now you got to be on, you got to go from <laughs> that small and to that gigantic. I mean, the scale the scale is, is, is unbelievable. unbelievable. And then you have different uh, ballparks now have different scoreboard configurations. So while they seem, you know, that it'll be like a standard TV or computer screen, uh, some of them go uh, they go vertically. So whatever you're creating has also got to be dynamic in another mode. Wow. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Um, so it, it, no, is we're having fun here. Is that is there is there one uh, one team's logo or there one you know there one city that you would just love to get your hands on? To you make know me better than that. Of course not. <laughs> Of course not. <laughs> I have I have had uh, I've had the the very the very proud opportunity to work with every single one of the clubs, whether it be for uh, on, on even the New York Yankees on their uh, All Star game and got to do the freeze and you know got to to open and close their ballpark. Those you go from something historic like that where I never, of course, would ever have touched their uniform. Um, to some clubs that went through expansion. So it, it's been a wonderful opportunity. There isn't anything that I would reach out to in any case. Um, I've had great pride in doing some very simple things. Um, if, you, if you take a look at uh, the Detroit Tigers, uh, here's a well-established club. Everybody right now in your mindset, you know what their old English D look like. And yet uh, I would say roughly 20 years ago, they had five different old English Ds. Um, and they have come down to one. Uh, I will tell you, it was always my favorite one that they came down to. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy and I'm very, very pleased with that. They didn't step out. They didn't change their brand. They didn't go for anything different. They, they just came down to the best of all possible solutions in coming down with one. You know, the, the, the design, at least the way it used to be, a lot, a lot of the design, the replication, depended upon the manufacturer, the uniform manufacturer, who might have somebody in the way, in the, in the, in their design place who either was, was, you know, cutting and pasting or whatever. And so it, it, in a lot of ca cases, you would wind up just with what they gave you. And it's really changed a lot. I mean, it's become much more, you know, the, the visuals of the game are always, have always been important, but this is like, you talk about the D, the different D's, in um, in Detroit, or even even the way the Dodger uh, script 
is replicated. There's a lot of different considerations to correct, make it just to correct. make it look I think, right, you know, right? over the years, we've gone in with every single one of the clubs and, and taken those, uh, those, I'd say, manufacturing glitches out of the type. Uh, it doesn't take away the character. It just made some of the errors, uh, as you say, people cutting them out of felt from years ago, and it just pre was precipitated, uh, you know, some bad, some, some bad sewing there, <laughs> bad sewing years. Um, but what we did do, uh, and we completed the project approximately six years ago, is we digitized every mark of baseball. Um, it's probably my, my legacy. Um, but it took going back and, and actually working with different various manufacturers on coming to an agreement that we would all be in certain spaces. So predicated on Todd Radom, who I've worked with, who's our vis visual historian, um, him going in to every single one of the clubs, to every single period, and either taking a, a, a look at a jersey or analyzing uh, photographs came up with a digitized library. So uh, at any one time when a club wants to go back to a specific period of time, they can do so with, uh, you know, with some knowledge that what they're picking up is correct. Hey Ann, I think I think we might have left one one <laughs> event out in that spring training. Uh -huh. It starts oh, the great. season. What, what I mean, that's like that's a not only do you have Arizona and Florida, so you have two totally different um, climates, right? One dry, one humid. Um, you know, both sunny. But I mean, what goes into into creating those and and the fun colors and <laughs> St. Patrick's Day? I mean, you got all and, sorts and of you know it's a it's a short market, with. right? So it's it's a short period of time. Six weeks, and Six it's weeks, all about right? location. I mean, it's all about sitting and watching ball again in the warmth uh, of an area. Uh, people come out. What they want to do is they're going to walk away with a hat that might have the same insignia that they normally wear, but it might be a cap in a different color, and it might have uh, where they were. You know, where where did I purchase this? Might be smack on the side of that cap. Uh, so we have a lot of fun with it. We do change it up every single year. Uh, just to add a little different flavor. Uh, and those people who do and find themselves repeatedly going on these trips can always find a refreshment of, of you know, some nice merchandise to bring back to remember that particular trip on. Uh, we just completed the one for next year. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a, it's been a fun uh, thing to work on at this time. I got, I got to ask. Uh, Pat, you'll, you'll like this one because we, we officed out at Scottsdale Stadium. But during my time with the Arizona Fall League, those those logos were highly sought after in the in the community, uh, whether it was the Scorpions or the Javelinas. I mean, the, the, the Saguaros. I mean, people came and they just wanted a, a hat that had a cacti on it. Um, and it was like the coolest thing ever. So well, we like, built what, out what an entire league there. So, right, we had uh, we had a finite number of colors. We chose five colors. And from those five colors, we also uh, decided that all of the symbols of those particular clubs would all be done in, in basically almost a silhouette. Uh, so we started out, we had a certain pattern that would take place, certain colors. So one color, you know, when, when somebody might have a turquoise and black, another person might be a, a red and a yellow, and they would all combine down to the colors of the Arizona Fall League. It was a, it was a great project to work on. Uh, very, very few times. It was a, kind of like working on the World Baseball Classic, where you, you don't too often in life have the opportunity to start on the ground floor of a great event like that.
no doubt. Well, and and you've had more to do. I mean, this is I, I'll I'll really pay a compliment here. You've had more to do with the visual identity of baseball than anybody over the last thirty years, and and it, it's you know a lot of things that are just there's some subtle changes, but there's also been some very bold ones that you've been a part of. And, you know, you look at the, uh, the hierarchy of major league baseball and aside from your longevity there, you're, you're one of the highest ranking women in baseball and you, you, you've continued to, you know, you came from, from your design school. What would you say to a lot of the listeners we have here are, are, are people in, in sports management programs and colleges or, or they're just coming up in the business I mean, what advice would you give to anybody who's interested in design, but also interested in sports? I, I would tell them, first of all, what would never you tell turn them? your back on your passion. Um, you'll never have to work, as they always say, if you, if you do so. So if you really love the idea of design, there isn't any reason why you shouldn't reach out to your local high school. You shouldn't reach out to those things that you know and love and have a passion for and, and can't see if you can't see about pulling all of them together. If nothing else, it would give you quite a nice portfolio uh, to be able to take to one of the leagues, uh, working on any of the minor leagues. Uh, in, in our particular sport, I'm sure it will be the same or similar for something else and or your own college uh, to be able to take a look at how uh, maybe they've lost their way a little. Maybe they're all fragmented um, and and seeing if you can't you yourself can't pull them together. It would be a great exercise. It would give you a really nice something really nice to show. And you'd also be able to learn how to sell your work. And what what is a what does a design resume look like? I mean, for, for those who are, are like, all right, I want to be in design. I want to create, you know, create graphics and, and content, et cetera. Um, what is what does theirs have to look like compared to someone who wants? Well, to go I, into, I think you one know, you have sales. to have a portfolio. So that's that's the I would say the hands down the largest difference there is you would have to show how you take the project. Uh, how you take the solution, the creative solution. You started off this entire uh, podcast by discussing, you know, how you you have a you've got a question. There's a creative problem. Uh, there is something that can be always solved by the packaging of that event. So I, I think when you go back to your resume, you're you're looking at taking um, a name of something, come up with your own name of a sport team. Uh, we've done that in the past when we've gone to hire people is we come up with the name of a new club and we have someone take us through everything from the selection of colors down through to what the uniform may look like, but more importantly, what does their social look like uh, in this day and age? So you can take and, and like blow out any one of a fictitious scenario in a portfolio that would give everyone the idea of the depth of your design. No, that's great. I mean, I, I you know, you, you mentioned <laughs> the minor league teams. I mean, there's 160 of them, you know, plus, and uh, you got logos from the, the baby cakes to the, to the exactly. quakes, to, I mean, to, to everything, right? So under the sun, so you can, you know, the ideas. And you certainly, yeah, are, you certainly don't work, have to work on anything that's boring, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the, and the colors are, colors are, you know, right. I mean, you got the whole rainbow to work with. So uh, Pat, that's, that's endless well, opportunity, right? It, it really is. And the other part of this thing that I think is so interesting is that aside from, you know, being appealing to fans and to people around the game, 
you know, the uniform that you wear as a major league player, um, you know, it, it means something. It means something to you. And the fact that you're associated with it and the, you know, it, it, nobody can do this forever. And um, I think that one of the things in, you know, you look at the Yankees and the Giants and the Reds and, and the Dodgers and some of these organizations that have been around for many, many generations is that, you know, when you, when you put on the uniform of the Giants or the Dodgers or the Yankees, you're sort of saying something about yourself. And it's, you know, it means it means as much if you're a player uh, without or, a doubt, or if you're you a fan, a seven, you know, generation fan <laughs> as well. So. <clears throat> and uh, I got to ask, as we wrap up the episode, um, living in New York and, and, and being in the commissioner's office for 30 years, as you've gotten to see not only baseball grow but the organization grow and people grow around you what's what's the best part about working in sports to you and, and what makes it so fun and enjoyable for you and that you know every day uh, you, know, you are pursuing it changes right every day there's a new project in front of you so despite the fact that it is evergreen in the way of its product and some of its jewel events it's not we had uh, we had the years with commissioner Seelig and his philanthropic uh um you know, projects. And now we are following uh, Commissioner Manfred with, with the attention to youth. Uh, all of that every single day uh, creates new opportunities. Uh, how you bring augmented reality and bring some of the uh, stars like uh, uh, Jackie Robinson or Clemente to life uh, for a brand new generation. All of that every day just brings you a different bit of excitement. No, that's amazing. Well, we, we thank you for your time and uh, really enjoyed uh, hearing about the, the different uh, aspects of the design world and, and creativity. I know I'm a little bit more creative after listening to you, so I'll take that. I'll take that away. Uh, Pat, I don't well, know about, we all, about we you. All think, we all think we are, but think about this, Jake, <laughs> is that Anne can actually sit there when she can look, she can look at somebody walking down the street wearing a cap and she can sort of say, <laughs> you know what, I had something to do with that, which is a pretty cool <laughs> legacy to have. And, uh, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing it with us. You're, uh, you've, you've, you've done more emotionally for baseball than, um, than I think a lot of people know. And uh, it's an incredible legacy. And you're going to keep so. doing it for a long time, I guess. 